2: Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. Well, we should probably start today as we're getting a little bit closer to the Super Bowl with a Super Bowl update. Big news, everybody. I still do not care. Also, big news. I'm not going to do the alarm sound. Uh, Titans are hiring Packers personnel football administrator, administrative executive, Chad Brinker, as the new assistant GM, considering this is the first that you, I, or anybody else has ever heard of Chad Brinker. I'm just going to go ahead and leave that right there for anybody that's interested. But no, what I really want to start with today, this is a couple days old, but uh, we haven't talked about uh, Roger's nonsense in a while. And so we might as well start with the epitome of nonsense. And this is uh, Stephen A. Smith. We love a good conspiracy theory here. And Stephen A. has got a good one. And by good, I mean idiotic. Here's the thing. When you have a really bad premise, I guess, when you start with a bit of information that's so unbelievably thawed, your conclusions are going to be way off. This is just a really good example of that. Stephen A.'s conclusion is stupid because his premise is stupid. And because he's really bad at reasoning things out, he came up with a bad premise and then Poorly rationalized the premise to come up with an even more ridiculous conclusion. Here you go. Your thoughts on
3: Aaron Rodgers' comments, Michael Irvin? I
0: smell a rat. I smell a rat, Michael Irvin. We have missed this story all year long, Molly. Why? Oh no, 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 fellas! It put all three of us up on the screen right We're now. Lost. We've was, missed was, it. We got here. Right. Yeah. This has been the plan all along. Boy, hey, that, boy. That, you so. Let me tell you something. Stay with me, Michael Irvin. Stay with me here. Aaron Rodgers, I couldn't understand, Molly. How in God's name can the greatest talent at the quarterback this side of Patrick Mahomes that any of us have ever seen in the history of the National Football League, how in God's name could this man let the best wide receiver in football walk out the damn door? Okay. How are you not fighting with Devontae Adams to stay? How are you not fighting with the Packers organization to keep him? How are you not making sure if you got to hit, kidnap him, handcuff him, you understand I am Damn it, do something to him to keep him in Lambeau Field. How the hell did you let this happen? And I have sat here holding Aaron Rodgers accountable for that. And then I listen to this, and I'm like, wait a minute. Devontae Adams goes out there for a year. There isn't anybody in football that would ever dream of picking Derek Carr ahead of Aaron Rodgers. Derek Carr was approaching the last year of his deal before they could ultimately get rid of him. And then Aaron Rodgers can follow him to Vegas. Now, I'm not saying it's going to happen because there has to be some capitulation on the part of the Green Bay Packers. But the fact that Aaron Rodgers has been talking like this, Michael Irvin... That tells me him and Devontae Adams had this in the works all along. Aaron Rodgers wants to be in Vegas. That's where he wants to be. Now, I don't know if it's going to happen, but that's what I smell, Michael Irvin. The floor is yours. Not-
2: so, again, the problem from the start here, He already said what the problem is. I mean, the first problem is he's really bad at figuring stuff out. The second problem would be that this is all clickbaity stupidity. But the main problem started with what he said about halfway through this. He had been holding Aaron Rodgers responsible this entire time for Devontae leaving, wondering how in the world could you let him walk out the door? Well, if he could have just reconciled that, we wouldn't be at this ridiculous point right now. Devante Adams wanted to go to the Raiders and play with his buddy Carr. That's the answer. So we don't need to come up with some weird conspiracy theory. He's been trying to reconcile this whole time the fact that he can't figure out how and why Devontae would have walked out the door. And it brought him to this ridiculous point where he thinks what makes the most sense is that Rodgers essentially sent Devontae to the Raiders And said, you go over there and then bring me over there with you, which is stupid for like 50 different reasons. Literally about 50. But again, it's it's the fact that you get the first part wrong. And when you get that first part wrong, you're going to head down a million different wrong avenues. And so many people refuse to understand this very basic reality. And in fact, you could even go so far as to say that the actual reality that Devontae chose to leave Aaron Rodgers to go hang out with Derek Carr makes it less likely that Aaron Rodgers goes to the Raiders, as opposed to Stephen A not understanding this and believing that it's more likely. Why? Very simple. He left Aaron Rodgers to go with Derek Carr. And now what? I'm supposed to follow you over there like a little puppy? Because now that your best friend you left, you're like, hey, buddy, how, how would you like to come over here? I miss you. Dude, how about F you, bro? But again, this is is beyond dumb. The fact that this is on ESPN, that the guy gets paid a billion dollars to come up with a theory because he doesn't even have the first data point correct, which leads him down a search for something that isn't missing. The question of why Devontae left, which has been answered a long time ago. I mean, by Devontae. Why did Rodgers not fight for him? How do you know he didn't? And what difference would it have made? Devontae made a decision on his own behalf that this is what he wanted to do, and the Packers tried to keep him there. Why didn't they fight? They did. They offered him way too much money to stay, and he said no. They offered him more than the Raiders did, and he said no. But let me just give you one reason why this is stupid on the off chance that you actually believe that this makes sense. Why did Devontae have to go to the Raiders? Couldn't Devontae and Rodgers have left last year? It would have been more beneficial for the Packers. They would have gotten a lot more. Why didn't they both just go to the Raiders? Or how about this year? Rodgers didn't go last year because that would have defeated the entire point of why Devontae left in the first place, which is go to be with Carr. That would be the real answer to that question. But if it's not about Carr and really it's about Rodgers and Devontae trying to get to Vegas, that's kind of dumb. Here's another thing that's dumb. The idea that anybody knew that Carr would be walking. Possible, yes, but the whole plan goes up in smoke if the Raiders decide to keep Carr one more year or two or three or four. So look, the bottom line is you got to make sure you get the first thing right. You got to get the small details right, because if you get it wrong, you're going to be going down the wrong path, trying to answer questions, find answers to the wrong questions. Anyway, something else I thought was pretty interesting. Um, Aaron Jones did a... uh, Interview at the Super Bowl with Skip and Shannon. They did kind of a live thing uh in front of a live studio audience. But since we've been talking a little bit about uh drafting and the hit and miss thing and how the you know, a lot of Packer fans only look at the Packers misses and not anybody else's. I found this kind of interesting. Um Aaron Jones, which is obviously a major hit for the Green Bay Packers back in whatever year that was. Um he's sitting down with Skip Bayless, who is a Dallas Cowboys fan. Well, as it turns out, which actually makes sense. I hadn't really thought about it, but it makes perfect sense. Aaron Jones is also a Dallas Cowboys fan. He's obviously a Packer fan right now, but you get what I'm saying. He grew up as a childhood Dallas Cowboys fan. And so he raised the question, like, did it kind of bum you out that the Cowboys passed on you so many times? Here was what he had to say?
3: You know, Uh, maybe four times. I I was uh, during the draft draft process, uh, Scott Linehan at the time was the OC. He came out and worked me out and was like, hey, we're – thinking about taking a back uh here in the third or the fourth round and then uh they drafted ryan switzer in the third and i was like yep they're not drafting me um so uh.
2: (laughs) so there's imagine how much that would suck again we we talk we always look at like well you could have had this guy but you missed out on this guy who went one pick later or whatever this is another example the dallas cowboys were looking to draft a mid-round running back They had talked to Aaron Jones in person and said, hey, we're looking at taking a mid-round running back, just letting you know. In other words, he was one of the guys they were considering. And in the third round, they drafted Ryan Switzer. Switzer's a wide receiver, but the point is, in the mid-rounds, they were considering a bevy of options. One of those options was Aaron Jones, and they decided not to go that route and instead took a guy that's contributed almost nothing to anybody ever. You know how much that would sting as a Cowboys fan to hear that the Cowboys had Aaron Jones on their radar. They had talked to the guy. They had said, hey, we're considering drafting you. They sat down in the meetings. They sat down in the in, in the war room. They had conversations. And then they're sitting there looking at their pieces and they go, hmm, we got that Jones kid. We got, uh, oh, I don't know, Switzer. Let's go Switzer. That was their fourth round pick. So by that point, you know, it would have been a, late fifth round by the time they came around. I'm guessing that's why Jones said, yeah, they're not drafting me once he found out that they drafted Switzer. But anyways, continuing on with his interview, um, he didn't say much. He's kind of just doing a little bit of coach speak, but I found it a little bit interesting, so I'll go ahead and play it. The ever-so-important question, probably the most important question you could ask anybody in the Green Bay Packers, which is you guys do well in the regular season, not this season withstanding is exactly what he said, but what the heck happens in the postseason?
3: In, the, in those final games, uh, you know, mistakes are critical. Uh, I, I feel like the team that makes the less mistakes uh, is going to come out with the victory. And uh, you know, we, we got to play complementary football in those situations as well. And um, one of the times we did.
2: So taking it piece by piece, mistakes are a big one. Number two, complementary football, which essentially I think in this context just means when people are making mistakes, somebody else has got to bail them out. If the offense is, is messing up, the defense and special teams got to bail you out.
3: And whatever it may be, you know, just not playing up to our standard, our best ball that we know we're capable of. And, you know, it, it, that definitely hurts because you play so well all season right. to get to that game and then you don't play your best ball. Right.
2: And, you know- and then the final point is just we're not playing our best. And and again, hate to keep going around in circles. We haven't talked about it in a while, but I've said it a thousand times. Where do you put the blame for that? Where do you put the blame for we're making mistakes, we're not playing complimentary football, we're not playing our best ball now ultimately, yeah I, I, again, it's not the coaches, it's the players like if you don't show up on game day, that's on you and 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 it's worth considering what that could mean moving forward in terms of team building. You want the kind of guys like again, I keep pointing to Rashawn because I don't really know anybody else but Garys that are workers that are grinders that you know they're they're not going to go out in the playoffs to LA and just party it up, right? They're, they're, they, they're here for a mission and they understand the goal, they understand what, and, and you could talk about veterans and guys that that they want to join teams because they want to win championships. You know, we've been here, we've done that, I've done the party and I've had my fun, I've made my money, I'm here to win it. You know, so so those are conversations. But all things considered, you got a young team, you got some guys that maybe need a little bit of direction, who's responsible for that? Where do you put the blame? And I'm not going to ask Aaron Jones, because Aaron Jones obviously would never throw somebody under the bus. But I mean, let's just be thinking human beings here for a second. Where do you put the blame for a team that just does not show up when it matters the most? And, I, and again, I'm not advocating for firing Matt LaFleur, but at some point, you got to look at the fact that there have been very specific situations, right? They really struggled when they went out to the West Coast. Because, again, because they specifically told us they went out partying all night to where they had to change their schedule. They struggled after bye weeks. I wonder why. You get a week off, and then you come back, and you're worse. Should be better. Most teams are better. Most players are better. You're rested. You have time to prepare. You have extra time to uh, train. And you're worse. That doesn't make a lot of sense unless you're not actually taking the time to recover and prepare and train you're actually just going out and having fun and I don't know man maybe it'll just take a couple years for these guys to figure it out you know I've seen videos of like Jair and Stokes and those guys out having fun just living it up but after or it was actually Kevin King I think at the time Jair and Kevin King just being ridiculous and they got money and they got you know it seemed like they were drinking a little bit but Maybe after four or five years of this, you know the the having money and drinking and whatnot kind of wears off, and after a while, it's like you know I I'm, I kind of would like something a little more. But at some point, somebody's got to buckle these guys down, you know. Somebody's got to know how to talk to them and get on their level and say, you know, listen, do what you got to do after the season, but we got work to do right now. And apparently, nobody has the ability to get on their level and talk to them and tell them that. I I don't know what I don't know what else to do with the information, other than to say I I have to put this on Matt LaFleur. It shouldn't be his job. His job should be to just put position. I mean, same with Joe Barry and all these guys. Your only job should be put them in the best position to succeed. Here's the the information I want you to consume. Here's what I want you to work on as far as training and whatnot. And then I'll call the plays and whatnot to put you in the best spot, and you just go out and execute. But apparently that isn't enough. We need some level of um, motivational speaking going on. And I just don't think we have that anywhere. And then, of course, there is the uh, ever-important question of, is Aaron Rodgers coming back? I've been saying, your
0: quarterback, is he coming? Is he going? It seems like this is a reoccurring theme with you guys. It seems like year after year. Is <laughs> Aaron going to come back or is he going to leave? What's your best guess estimate
3: of what's going on, what's going to happen with Aaron? Uh, I think he'll be back. I mean, he you got 50 million reasons to come back. 50 million. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, hey, that's tough to turn down, <laughs> And then, uh, you know, I think he wants to go out on his own. Like, if he's retiring, I think he wants to go out on his own. Right. So I, I definitely see him coming back and playing, and I, I hope he definitely in green Bay. Uh, he's a great leader for us. And, you know, a guy like that, he, he brings a lot of people along.
2: Now, just so we're all clear, this is not what you would call a report. I know there's been a lot of confusion on Twitter in terms of what actually is a report. Um, this is what you would call... People within the organization believe Rodgers will be back in Green Bay. If I was, if I was, uh, I should put it this way. If this was a private conversation, Shannon Sharp would have reported it as uh source familiar with, or a source close to the Green Bay Packers believes Aaron Rodgers will be back. And then, of course, Twitter would be in an uproar, and they'd freak out, and everybody would be reporting it. And I would say that it doesn't mean anything, and everybody would say, yes, it does. You're nitty, You're not talking
0: about it.
2: And in reality, what was it? Aaron Jones going, I don't know, dude. Kind of like uh, probably probably going to play, but I don't really know if he's going to play. But if he does, I hope he comes back to Green Bay. That's basically all he said. Which is exactly what Schefter did when he went around and talked to people in the NFL and they gave their opinions who are less interesting or uh, close to Rodgers than Aaron Jones. And even Aaron Jones is a completely unreliable source because if we're being honest, I shouldn't say unreliable source. He's, he's it just this doesn't didn't mean anything. But it, the the reality is if we actually listen to the conversation, it's obvious that what Aaron Jones actually told us is that he has no idea. Um, Aaron Jones also gave a uh I, what I would say is the best um what would you call it? explanation of Aaron Rodgers' leadership. Well, I'll, I'll let the story play out and then I'll comment on it
4: that you're the more valuable Aaron in Green Bay because you're more dependable and trustable for the most part. But seriously, does Aaron ever get on
3: your nerves at all? Ever? No, never. Uh, really, thank you. I, I, I owe Aaron a huge thank you. Because uh, if it wasn't for him, I don't know how my uh, career would have turned out. Uh, my, my first two years, I wasn't well. I wasn't really playing. I played here, I was starting, and then wouldn't play. And uh, he stopped the game, turned to the salon, called timeout, told Mike McCarthy, I want 33 in the game, I want 33. And- uh, he, he is your biggest fan. And, and so be. that, you know, and coming in, when he first told me that I'm your biggest fan, like I was, a, I hadn't played a snap on offense. So that did so much for my confidence, hearing that from a future Hall of Famer. And I'm like, man, you believe in me this much. And then uh, when I did get the opportunity, I did what I could with it, did the most, and uh, made him look, made him look right, you know, made mm-hmm. him look good. and. Um, you just you keep you keep digging at it. You keep working, and he sees that, and you know he puts his arm around you. He he loves on guys like that who who want to get better who want to be great.
2: So what's it? Be? So I want to yeah. highlight that because it does speak to Aaron Rodgers' leadership, and I've obviously come down pretty hard on him and his leadership, and I'm going to essentially continue to do so because, as I've said, there's different styles of leadership, and I think what the team needs at times is different styles of leadership. Aaron Rodgers. Demands excellence. And I think what this story sort of highlights is Aaron Jones is excellent. Aaron Rodgers saw excellence in Aaron Jones and said, I want him with me. Aaron Rodgers wants 53 excellent players on the team, and there's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. And he demands guys to be excellent in the whole nine yards. And some guys respond to that and some guys don't. And that's the reason you got guys like Aaron Jones. And you've got a lot of guys that'll say Aaron Rodgers is their favorite teammate, et cetera, et cetera. And you got other guys that say that guy's a piece of garbage. Um, it's just like anybody else in life. Some people love you, some people hate you. It is what it is, especially when you're more of a polarizing guy. But again, Rodgers loves excellence and has very little tolerance for incompetence. Reminds me of that Patton quote. Americans love a winner and will not tolerate a loser.
0: Americans love a winner and will not tolerate a loser. Americans play to win all the time. I wouldn't give a hoot in hell for a man who lost and laughed.
2: Maybe that's it. Rogers is Patton, and he just has no patience for losers. There's a scene later in the movie when a guy is crying about he's in the... uh, medical tent along with guys that have been shot and blown up and wounded and he's in there and so what's wrong with you he said i just can't handle it essentially he's got like battle shock he's crying he's scared he smacked the living crap out of him why because it was disrespectful to the guys that have been in there because he wasn't going to tolerate any nonsense but the point is i think that is rogers he doesn't have time to sit here and baby young guys that don't know what they're doing. But the point is, the problem is, that is how a football team works. We can't have 50, 53 elite guys. And so that that's that's sort of been where my thing with Rodgers is. He's not the kind of guy that's going to reach down at the guy who's struggling and say, I'm going to help you out, bud. It's okay. You got this. He's going to look at you and say, that ain't good enough. And if you ever want to play with me, you better freaking straighten up. Now get out of my face. And then... When there's a guy like Aaron Jones, who is excellent, who practices with excellence, who plays with excellence, and in the middle of a football game, the, you know Aaron Jones hasn't been out there, Rodgers calls a timeout and says, what? I want that guy out with me, because Jones is excellent. And I'll be honest, I don't know that anything I'm saying is necessarily even debatable. I think that's just what it is, and either you respect that or, or, and like that or you don't. And I'm on board with it generally. I just think that you need to broaden that out a bit, and his, his, his stance is basically, no, I'm not going to. Another important question. Kudos, by the way, to these guys, as goofy as they are, for actually asking the most important questions. But here's this. Let
0: me ask you this? Excuse me, man. Jordan Love, let's just say for the sake of argument, this conversation here today, Aaron Rodgers doesn't come back. Is Jordan Love
3: ready to step in and take that step and lead the pack?
2: For the record, big smile on Aaron Jones' face right now.
3: As to where they need to be. Yes, sir. Jordan Love is ready. Jordan Love will be that guy uh, Made a huge jump this year. Uh, We've seen like. it. Uh, OTAs, we could see it, and then it just kept snowballing, 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 and uh, picking it up. And uh, you can tell he's, he he wants to play. He's itching to play, and uh, when it, when his turn comes, he's go, he's going to be ready. He's, I, I think, he's going to be their guy. What's he got? De- te- describe him to somebody who wouldn't know him. Uh, Jordan, very smart. Uh, he's gonna. He 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 listens. He wants to. He wants to be successful. Um, he's going to put everybody in the right positions. Uh, he's going, if something ain't right, check, 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 hold on, and get get everybody right. Um, and it's, it's just been so cool to see his growth, the development, um, him gain that confidence, and it showed. And I think even when he went in in Philly, he, he played well. The games he went in, he played well. And he showed, hey, I, I, can, I can play at this level, and I can do it at a high level. How does his arm strength compare to Aaron's? Oh, he he got He got yeah. some arm strength. <laughs> I, uh, I I say it's right up there. I don't know uh, if you can top oh, me yeah. or He's like one of the best to do it, but uh, it's it's right up there. And um, some of the balls we, we, that we see him in throwing practice, you're like oh like, yeah, you you <laughs> you, you definitely getting that confidence. You can definitely see you're letting loose and just going out there and playing. And his escapability would be what to you? Uh, he he can he can move. He can, he can move. move. Um, he he's definitely athletic. Uh, you know, people you don't see him run as much, but when when something breaks down or he has to, he can go get it. And uh, I think that's one thing that people kind of sleep on or will sleep on that'll uh, that'll help him in his game. So it sounds like you think you're gonna be just fine if that's what happens. Yes, yeah, sir. I, I mean, I feel like we'll be just fine. Uh, I got I got a lot of trust in Jordan. Uh, been working with him, you know, OTAs uh, past three years and. Uh, so I get another one coming up this year to work with him and uh, just continue to help him grow, and uh, we grow together.
2: So look, Aaron Jones is a nice guy. He's always going to be nice. Um, I do my best to read between the lines. The bottom line is I don't think he's lying. I don't think he's lying about Aaron Rodgers. I don't think he's lying about uh, Jordan Love. I think he'll always find something nice to say, but I don't think he's going to lie about it. I think he genuinely believes Aaron Rodgers is a great teammate and a great leader, and I think he genuinely believes that Jordan Love is a very capable quarterback moving forward. And I got to be honest, I it, it's it, it's it feels like something that all Packer fans should be able to rally around. We we had a great one in Brett Favre, we got a great one in Aaron Rodgers, and we got a great one in Jordan Love, you know, bottom line, end of story. The other thing I like about what he said about Jordan Love is he says we've seen the growth. We've seen that big jump especially in year 3, and again, I keep coming back to the fact that you know, a lot of people that don't like Jordan Love, it's number 1 Obsession with Aaron Rodgers, just just blind obsession with Aaron Rodgers. Like I love the guy, you know. Let me just brief story here. I I had a friend in college, um, we were roommates together and whatnot, and he was a very abrasive guy. He spent several years in prison and whatnot. Uh, A lot of people didn't really like him very much. I get along with most people, believe it or not. Um, And so him and I got along. I was his roommate for a while, but. He would constantly get into conflicts. And whenever he get into a conflict, he expected me to take his side. He expected me to disown this friend and that friend and everybody. And I told him flat out, I said, I'm not going to do that. I, you, you know how I feel about you. You know that you and I are friends. I'm not going to get involved in your conflicts and take sides. I'm not doing that. You figure it out. But I think some people are wired that way, and I think for some people, they look at it and say, I'm an Aaron Rodgers guy, therefore I have to be anti-Jordan Love, and I think that's silly. So I think that's part of it. But I think some, the, the probably the vast majority of anti-Jordan Love people are people that are angry at that pick in particular, should have taken T. Higgins, should have done this, could have won a Super Bowl, but didn't because we took that guy. And then there's a proportion of people, which there's some a, a lot of overlap here, who either you know, they didn't like the pick because of his tape or just didn't like his tape, don't think he's a good football player. The point is, though, there's so much emphasis on how he played in college and how he looked as, in, in training camp as a rookie and how he looked in year two. The entire point of Jordan Love's career is that he's incredibly talented, and if you can't find that in his tape, that's a flaw with you. Incredibly, incredibly, incredibly talented thrower, mover, thinker, all that. But there was some development needed. And in year three, everybody on this team, everybody in the media, everybody everywhere saying, dang, big jump there. We've heard teammates say it. We've heard the media say it. We've heard coaches say it. As a Packer fan, you got to let go of what you think you saw in college on his tape, what you think you, you read in his... His, uh, you know, the, the the draft profiles when everybody said, there's a terrible pig, he's a terrible quarterback. Okay, great. That's guys who barely know what they're talking about, putting together draft profiles, who get stuff wrong all the time. But also, they're commenting on what he did in college, not comment, commenting necessarily on what he could become in the NFL. We have to look at what Jordan Love is right now. What does all the best available information tell us about that? Let go about the scouting report that you read from three, four years ago, whenever it was. You got to let that go. I mean, the guy was a consensus first-round pick for a reason. (laughs) And it's not because people thought he was trash. Even the worst scouting reports in the world probably thought of him as a second-round pick. I mean, I, I, I hate to keep hammering this, but let's just go through some of these. Well, positive and negative. Here's what Matt Miller, big draft guy in 2020, said. His strengths. Easy, smooth, natural thrower with beautiful mechanics on a loose arm. Arm strength is top tier, can reach all levels of the field and throws underneath with fantastic velocity. Throws outside the numbers are easy and effortless. Deep ball artist who will attack down the field has accurate throws to every level and will eat up zone coverage with his timing and arm strength. Gunslinger mentality will challenge the defense defense with his arm if given a window, has good touch accuracy on deep balls. Athletic mover who can win on design runs and pick up yards when the pocket breaks down, fast enough to outrun defenders on the corner, elite at avoiding pressure and keeping the play alive with his legs, will step up and out of the pocket. Dominated in Matt Wells' offense in 2018, showing NFL scouts what he can be with a good supporting cast, which, again, is another thing that was forgot about. You go back and watch him in 2019 and say, oh, he was terrible. His entire offensive line left, his wide receivers left, his offensive coordinator left, everybody left him. And, yes, he lost to LSU. Big shocker. Weaknesses. Here's a big one. Cited for marijuana possession in 2019. Oh, man. He's one of those uh, weed plant smokers, boys and girls. Watch out, Aaron Rodgers 2.0. It starts with the weed. Moves on to the cocaine, then the heroin, then the ayahuasca. Next thing you know, he's dating a witch. That's how it goes. Here's what he goes on to say. Love is a case study in traits 1st production. He has the traits, scouts, love, arm strength, mobility, big play mentality. But he threw 17 interceptions in 2019. No matter which team loves him, love is a sit and develop type quarterback, not a rookie starter. He must work on cleaning up his decision-making while also growing into a professional quarterback after coming from a conference where his arm strength and athleticism were good enough to win. G. good thing he sat for as long as he did behind, oh, I don't know, Aaron freaking Rodgers. Here's Walter Football, which a lot of people might like to make fun of, but uh, Charlie Campbell wrote this. He's actually a really talented guy. Strengths, which as many Packer fans, about 50% of Packer fans will tell you there are no strengths. Let's see what Charlie Campbell saw. Good arm strength, can make beautiful throws downfield, can make all the throws required, throws a catchable ball, can pick up yards on the ground, has some pocket presence, can make superb throws off-platform, flashes tremendous accuracy on some throws, good ball placement at times, can throw touch passes, mobility, can hurt defenses on the ground, difficult to sack, athletic, and lots of upside. Skipping down a little ways, team sources highlighted that Love has issues with accuracy and turnovers which will need to be ironed out. Nearly every team source I spoke with feels Love is a developmental prospect who will need time on the bench to improve before being ready to play. However, Love could be forced on the field quickly because of where he gets drafted. Well, he didn't. He got drafted by the Packers and sat behind Aaron freaking Rodgers. But anyways, that was the end of the Aaron Jones uh, interview, more or less. Uh, I would give you one quick assignment because I know you've done a lot of hardcore study of Jordan Love and everything else, just go to YouTube, y-o-u-t-u-b-e dot com, type in Jordan Love highlights, take a gander. If you missed it while you are doing your film study, that'll give you a little piece of some of the upside, because again, remember, the entire point of sitting for three years is to highlight some of the highlights, and to make some of the negative things go away. Some of that negative stuff that you watched and said, I never want him here, the point is to make that go bye-bye. Anyways, why don't we go ahead and take a quick break. Patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. You can support the podcast for as little as $1 per month. I did add a bunch more stuff over to to my Trello board, NFL draft news and notes uh, stuff. You'll have access to that if you join in on Patreon. If you want to give not on Patreon, you can go over to Venmo, PackerNet Podcast. Also, please remember FertileGroundRanchDiscipleshipMinistry.org. You can find them at Fertile Ground Ranch. well, never mind, FertileGroundRanch.org. I'll never get that right. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. Hi, welcome back. This is the PackerNet Podcast. Well, I got to make it weird, man. So what I want to do uh, down the stretch here is talk about a little bit NFL draft. Again, I do have, if you're a patron, you can go check out uh, a lot of news and notes and whatnot, but I wanted to kind of catch you up with some of the stuff that's been going zone. And as I've been saying, I'm not trying to brag or anything, but um, not massively excited about the wide receivers, not massively excited about the draft as far as just having like that just freak show quarterback wide receiver edge rusher like nothing in my mind aside from Bijan so i want to kind of start it off with this little conversation that took place also on uh, the old ESPN this is with uh well Draft people. How often do you have one of these classes? Like, does this stack up as like one of the worst drafts you can recall? I know we're still two and a half months away from the proceedings beginning, but how long ago do you recall a draft having this little sort of general talent in your estimation?
4: I'll let you know that after the combine field because once those numbers are in and you see where these guys stack up physically and athletically, we're kind of estimating right now on a lot of guys and guesstimating what they may be. But once the combine numbers are in, the pro days are over, and we get those grades, and I struggle to get 80. I struggle to get to 80. You Normally, get a 125,
2: 130 easily, and Todd can chime in whether he's... Talking about prospects you want to draft. So normally, you got like 130-ish. He's struggling to find 80 that you even want to draft.
4: He had trouble there as well. I got to 80 barely. And what I do is compare the players I'm giving a grade to to last year and the year prior, and I'm looking at those numbers. I can't give him that grade because I gave him that this grade. And he's not even close. So then yep. you start doing the numbers, and they like I say, you get to 70, 75 players. And the, also the other thing, Todd, is what surprises me is the players now that are opting to leave Mobile and go home. Okay, they have a day of practice, couple days of practice, and they're out of there. They're not staying for the game, and the game always showed. Now, a lot of scouts back in the day would stay for the game because they felt, let's watch these guys in pregame. Let's see who actually doesn't just practice well, who plays well. Now, a lot of these guys, I mean, you're talking about a load of players. I mean, they had a whole sheet of players that were gone. Some guys opted not to come, but then how about the guys that were there and then left? And without any
2: Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase.
4: Hey, repercussions, you can't downgrade them. You can't lower their grade because of that. You know, you say, well, if you don't work out at the combine, it's a knock one. Then it became no knock one a player, okay? Because then you got the pro day. Now they're leaving. I, I don't remember, Todd, the numbers of players leaving mobile this year as opposed to last year I think the transfer report. you know there's a lot to
1: get into and it's not even worth it right now but but to to go back to your point i had a very prominent head coach call me and 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 give me the business on on a player who i had it's going my mock draft just a, a <laughs> few weeks ago right and I, I said, I've got a second round grade on him, Coach, because he, he said, I've talked to, what do you say, uh, 28 different teams, and they have second round, second or third round grades on him. I said, I have a second round grade on that player too, but there's only first, uh, 14 first rounders that I have right now. So like someone's got to go in the mock draft beyond the 14th pick.
2: So you're saying he did a mock draft. He had a player picked at like 22-ish or something. And he had a coach call him and say, you're out of your freaking mind. This guy's a second round player. And he says, I agree. He's a second round player. I only have 14 players. 14 with first round grades is what he's saying.
1: And that, that kind of feeds into your point that, yeah, this year's class isn't great. But on the, on the positive side, the top of the draft is going to be fascinating, mm. and we talked about it all week. Chicago sitting at one; they're trading out. They're going to take a quarterback, stick at home, and take a defensive player: Will Anderson from Alabama or Jalen Carter from from Georgia. And if they trade out, you've got Indy
2: sitting at four. You've got lost. So to be clear, fascinating doesn't mean talented; <laughs> it means interesting.
1: Vegas. you got a bunch of teams. We, we went through, I think Tannenbaum and I went through like nine or 10 different teams that potentially could trade up to that number one spot for the quarterbacks, Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, Will Anderson. So uh, yet last year we were struggling to get a guy in, at the quarterback spot in the first round. Kenny Pickett was the only one this year, likely going to be four quarterbacks going round one.
2: But anyways, there was some further clarity on, on how all this stuff plays out that I thought was important.
4: Sometimes you feel like like a walking contradiction field because you can bash a draft and then say you could still come <laughs> out of this with a heck of a lot of talent and I say it because there's going to be and Todd chime in as well there's going to be a lot of mixed opinion the teams will have a second round grade on somebody the teams might have a free agent grade on and there's going to be a wide range of opinion on a lot of these players which means that if you scout well or you get into say the fifth round and somebody says well I'll give you a four next year you've given the four Okay, there'll be some teams looking to do that, even though we can say it's not a good draft, but some teams may be looking to do that. Some teams may want to bail. They get the the end of their list and their guys are gone. They're in the fifth round, my guys are gone. I'm getting the heck out of there. I'd rather have a fifth rounder next year for a six or a six for a seven, okay? By the same token, if guys that you like that are still in that 80, normally you get through seven rounds with 120, 125, there's still guys left to sign as free agents. If you see in that 80, you still got a couple guys left the sixth, seventh round, maybe it just works out that way. So for me, you could still have an A draft or a draft that's as good as last year's or the year prior whatever, even though on paper it looks like a weak draft if guys slide through the cracks that you like, Todd. So it depends how this thing plays out. We'll wait till the combine pro days are over. But teams that, like I say, if you have quality scouts, this is where you earn your money as a scout. And I think you deserve a raise if you do well this year. It's that challenging. Mm -hmm. But to say that everybody's going to be disappointed with the guys they get in this draft, and this draft isn't going to benefit you next year, is completely wrong. Mm. But because you can still have a good draft and what appears to be a bad draft on
2: paper. Yeah. So, so the point is, if you think about it in terms of fishing, for example, um, yeah, I remember when I was younger, we'd like to go off the pier sometimes. There's always bluegill just constantly around the pier. You drop whatever in there, and you're just plucking bluegills out of there left and right. It doesn't take an incredibly skilled angler to pull a bluegill off the side of a pier with some nightcrawlers. Take that same 10-year-old, put him on a, a boat in the middle of the lake somewhere in northern Wisconsin, tell him to catch a muskie. So the point is, incredibly deep draft classes. Lots of top-end talent, lots of players. Let's say you know, you've got, instead of 80 or 120, let's say there's 150 prospects that you like and want on your team. It's easier to walk out of there with guys that you like, and with quality players, because there's more of them. Let's say there's just 50 in the draft. Well, more than likely, you're going to get at least one, somewhere between one and two quality starters. Everybody, just by accidentally grabbing wildly in the draft. Well, let's say there's 17. I mean, legitimately, there's 17 guys that, out of this entire draft class, are going to go on to have great careers. Now, suddenly, you've got a 50% chance of finding one. And so like he said so th- so there's two main points to this whole little conversation. Number one, it is largely being viewed right now as a weak draft class. Not a lot of talent, not a ton of top end talent or not a lot of depth at talent. Sometimes there's there's a lot of top end talent but then it falls off quickly. Sometimes there's not a lot of top end talent but it's real deep, you know, as far as like you you can get second rounders in the early fourth round kind of thing. Um This is not, in my opinion, it's not top-end heavy. Um, Like he said, 14 he had, I think he said, 14 first-round grades, period. But I also don't think there's a lot of like top, 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 top top-end talent either. But beyond all that, there's not a lot of talent, period, in this entire group of thousands of prospects. So weak class, but then the secondary point beyond all that, is that this is where you really find out how good your GM is. This is how good how how, how you find out how good your uh scouting personnel is. Not just Goodukanz, it's the entire staff. Because it takes an entire staff. I mean that's the other thing. We we put everything on Goodukanz like he's the only guy doing it. We treat Brian Goodukanz like he's, you know, Mel Kiper Jr. Like he's just by himself in his basement coming together with a, a top 100 Uh, big board and then when the draft comes he's using his personal big board that's not how this works he has got an entire staff assembled and that staff and their person and and their um, ability to scout and put together reports as well as the other people the high-end personnel people that he puts around him that help him to kind of sift through and and analyze tape and all that stuff all of that comes together and how good that entire staff is is really going to come through in years like this year because if you're able to pull out that talent out of this group well that's that's when you need a really good high quality staff the The other i guess third part would be if there are 14 ish first round prospects the packers picked a real good year to be said I, in fact i think the packers might be in a perfect spot i don't really want to be top three top five certainly not i mean i, I i'm not going to try to sound petty like you know whatever but let's be honest, this is a terrible year for the Bears to be the number one spot because there's no talent there. There is no Joey Bosa. There is no Pat Mahomes. I know he went way later. There's no Trevor Lawrence. There's no can't-miss elite number one prospect. And that doesn't mean somebody isn't going to throw a ton of picks at him to move up to one anyways. That's going to happen no matter what, so they'll be fine. But whoever it is that trades up then and actually sticks at that one spot, you, you... I mean the 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 player might pan out just fine. But it's just a bad year to be in that top 3 spot. But it's also a bad year to be picking at 23, 24, 25 because you're deep in the second round at that point. So the Packers are in a perfect spot because the 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 at the end of the day they're getting first round talent. Roughly, I mean maybe maybe they're bored. They've got 13, 14 and that last one's gone. Maybe they got to move up. I don't really know. But the point is, let's say of the 14, and let's just say out of a scale of, of, of 10, this is just kind of how, just to give you a, a visual of how I'm picturing this. There are no 10s. There are no 9.5s. There might be a couple like 8.9 or even a 9. But let's say in order to be a first round grade, you've got to be like 8.75 or higher. So the point is, we're getting about as good as you can get in this draft. Like There's, there's a handful of guys that we can't get that are probably top tier, but who are they? the number one pass rusher, the number one defensive tackle, and what? Even the quarterbacks, I don't think that they're necessarily elite. I think it's all positional value that pushes them as high as they were. If you drop them down and call them wide receivers, but keep them at the same grade, they'd be mid-first-round talent. Anyways, just want to uh, give a couple more insights that I've gotten on the draft. Again, uh, talking about the wide receivers Um, this is from Matt Miller again, from, uh, wherever he's at these days, scouts aren't in love with this wide receiver class, maximum four first rounders. In my opinion, he says, Trevor Sykema says that there are rumors that multiple teams are comfortable waiting until day two for wide receiver. My mind immediately went to the green Bay Packers, especially sitting where they're sitting talking about potentially not having a ton of great wide receiver talent. In fact, there's another note that I've got here. For Quentin Johnston, Todd McShay, his uh, insight was that Quentin Johnston appears to be the only true potential wide receiver one in this class. Now, part of the reason that's interesting is if he is genuinely a wide receiver one and first-round talent is the only one, maybe the Packers take a flyer on him if he's still available, if they agree with that assessment. But the way I'm looking at it is he's the only one that's considered a wide... By the way, didn't say first-round great, wide receiver one. The only one. That's a big deal considering we've been hearing all this Jordan Addison is elite. and That's not even saying that Quentin Johnson's necessarily that great. Just that he's the only true potential wide receiver one. As far as Jackson Smith and Jigba, um, McShay goes on to say NFL scouts think that Jackson Smith is a number three wide receiver in the NFL and number threes go in the mid-second round. He also added Jackson Smith and Jigba may be more productive than he is talented. So, I mean, just weak class overall, weak wide receiver class, not a lot of top end. And and, and this is, I predicted this weeks ago, by the way. I got one more note on wide receivers, something to keep an eye on, somebody that I need to look into because I haven't really yet. But my exact thought on this situation is there's going to be pretty much all the wide receivers are available. The Green Bay Packers are going to come up at 15 and they're going to say, this is it. This is their moment to prove that they're willing to get first round wide receivers for the first time in forever. Every single available wide receiver is sitting there, and you know what they're going to do? They're going to draft somebody not a wide receiver, and it's going to be, oh, here we go. I told you they will not. They refuse to draft blah, 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 and in reality, it's not because they refuse to draft wide receivers. It's because it's a weak wide receiver class. That's what's going to happen. Anyways, uh, somebody else to keep an eye on. Mel Kuyper had said, don't be surprised if Zay Flowers is the top drafted wide receiver in this class. So not only is there a ton of question about the wide receivers and whatever or not, and obviously one person's opinion is that Quentin Johnson is the top guy, but Kuyper said don't be surprised if Zay Flowers actually not only is a first-round draft, draft pick, which is not a guarantee, he's generally seen as an early second-round, late first-round prospect, but he's saying Zay Flowers may be the first one off the board. A couple interesting tidbits about um, Zay Flowers. First of all, Shrine Bowl standout. This is from Jordan Reed from ESPN. He says... Uh, again, draft range, late day one, early day two. Although he only participated in one practice, it was apparent that Flowers moved different than his Shrine Bowl counterparts. In segments of Sunday's practice, he showed off suddenness, strong hands, and savvy route-running ability. Traits we saw routinely from him at Boston College. He generated a lot of buzz among NFL scouts, and there are some evaluators who believe Flowers might be the first receiver off the board in April. He got 78, blah, 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 there's his stats. So again, this is, this is buzz that's a Bruin. Jordan Reed said he talked to several scouts that said he could be the first one. Mel Kuyper is now saying he could be the first one. And then there's this. Here's an interview from him. Pro Football ne- Network posted this. This is an East-West Shrine Bowl interview um, of Zay Flowers. As soon as this loads here. Ready, go.
1: We know you got hands of glue. Yeah. You're outstanding. <laughs> How fast you going to run the 40th? I'll
3: say low 4-3s. Low 4 threes. Hopefully 4-2, but we're going to... We gonna what's wait. You,
4: have you have you timed the forty
3: before? <laughs> no, nah, I never ran a forty in my life. Okay. I we only timed the ten yard. That's what we've been the ten yard splits. And What's your ten yard split? Um, like a one four zero. Yeah. That'll give you that'll give you one right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> you, yeah.
1: The, the start is, the, the, start
3: the, is the, the start is the hardest part. Yeah. Just opening up and running, we do that naturally. Every football player do that naturally.
2: So there's Zay Flowers basically saying he believes he's going to run in the 4-3s, potentially in the 4 twos. So blazing, blazing fast wide receiver. At 5'10", 172, you got to wonder about his size. I know that's a general concern. Obviously, it's as I've said before, there are no real definitive hard lines for the Packers to say we will not touch him. It all comes down to whether or not they, th- we, they think that he can do the job Can he overcome the concerns that we have in place for why we don't like guys that are 5'10", 172? But um, just a quick look at Zay Flowers, just because we haven't. 22 years old, consistent player for Boston College. Worst year was his first year at 66 PFF grade, but didn't play a ton. Second year is when he really started to uh, take over, I guess. Since then, 72, 73, 75. So pretty consistently good, never in the great, but also still moving upward. And did have somewhat of a breakout year statistically. Went from a little under 900 to 750 yards to over 1,000 yards. Went from nine touchdowns to five touchdowns to 12 touchdowns. But uh, consistent guy. I mean, pretty much everything, the, the statistics, the grades, does play a, a decent amount on the slot. So he's kind of an inside-outside guy. By decent amount, I mean sub-50% every year. But in his second year, he was 48%. This past year, he was at 33%. But yards per route run... 2.15 2.27 2.22 yards per reception 16 17 14 so kind of an interesting guy um you, you almost wonder if he if people worry about him being a little bit of a tweener cuz he seems like a do everything guy but you also wonder if it's is he a jack of all trades in terms of he can he can be outside and he can be in the slot and he can be a deep threat and he can be an intermediate threat or is he kind of that good not great in all those categories But if you had to summarize Zay Flowers, I think the word would be, well, aside from extremely fast, but um, shifty. I'm looking at his PFF right now as far as punt returns go, and he hasn't been massively successful. But every time he touches the ball, he looks like a punt returner. So he's got blazing speed and um, can cut on an absolute dime. So he does some serious damage with the ball in his hands. Fun got to watch. But um, we'll do some more. I got a lot more... uh, Updates and things from the NFL draft. We'll cover more some uh, more stuff in the future, but we'll leave it at that for today. You guys have yourselves a fantastic night. I will talk to you tomorrow. Goodbye.